Welcome, friends, to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. My name is Pastor Steve, coming to you from the Pacific Northwest. I pray that wherever and whenever you are listening to this, it finds you well. I pray that God will bless you in our time together, and that as a result of it, you will be drawn nearer to Jesus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. Uh, we are going to begin our study in the book of Philippians today. Um, and we'll do uh, one chapter a week as we work our way through that. Um, and so I hope that you'll enjoy this. Um, let's, uh, before we just dive in and get started, let's pray and then we'll um, get working on it. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to uh, study your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds as we focus our attention on you. Show us something from your word today that would draw us closer to you, make us more like you, uh, and help us to be uh, great ambassadors uh, for your gospel. And Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a little background on the book of Philippians. Uh, first off, this is one of the letters that Paul wrote uh, while he was in prison. Um, and this was a church, obviously, in the town of Philippi. Philippi was a a city that was uh, very patriotic in nature. Um, the history books tell us that it was full of uh, retired uh, Roman soldiers, and so they had a real passion and, and uh, penchant for following after Caesar. And so when these new uh, Jesus followers came into town and began to proclaim Jesus as king, uh, that got them into a lot of hot water and some difficulties. Um, and so there was some fear and trepidation about sharing the gospel uh, with Jesus, although the church at Philippi was uh, actually pretty good at doing it, uh, and we'll see that as we study through the book. Uh, the key principle here, I think, or the, the big idea of the entire book is the humility and the exaltation of Christ, and that's going to play out for us in a very specific way. In chapter 2, Paul is going to give us this beautiful poem um, that many people have memorized um, in their lifetimes, and it's probably a good idea for all of us to memorize it. Um, I'm going to be working on it myself, uh, having memorized portions and sections of it throughout my lifetime, but never the entire poem. Um, and so that might be a good um, thing for us to do as we study through the, the book of Philippians together. Um, and so, but the humility and the exaltation of Christ, and what does that mean? The humility of Christ is the fact that um, God uh, came to earth in, the, in human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, uh, and in doing so, humbled himself uh, to live in our flesh and um, walk in our world and do all of those things. But even on above that, uh, humbling himself to the point where he became a servant, where Jesus became a servant. Remember, he washed the feet of those apostles and so forth. Um, but then at the end of the poem, we're going to be reminded that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's this duality of Christ here, the fact that he comes to us in this humility, but one day will be exalted uh, and lifted high above everyone. In fact, the one of the passages in the verse says that he has a name that is above every name. Uh, and so that's what the key principle is there, is to understand that. Now, Paul's going to paint a picture for us throughout this entire book of the idea that our life and the sufferings that we go through um, 
are actually a picture that the sufferings that we go through for Christ uh, are actually a picture or an image or a way that we can depict the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we react to problems and struggles. So if you think about our current situation, um, I'm recording this, it's uh, early 2021, um, and we've just come through um, or still following the, the tail ends of this global pandemic. Um, and one of the things that has really permeated the culture over the last year uh, is fear and just being afraid. And so one of the things that Christians can do to show and proclaim the gospel is that when people are afraid and when fear is the predominant um, idea in everyone's hearts and minds, we know that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but that we know that Christ has everything in his control. And so we don't fear all of those things, uh, the plague and all of those kinds of things, because uh, as Paul's going to show us here in, in this first chapter, um, that if we were to die, then we are in the presence of Christ. And what better thing could happen than that? And then if we live, then we get to continue to work for Christ. And so that's good for everybody also. So we don't have to live in fear. And that's just one way that um, living in suffering and reacting to our suffering like Christ would react or how he reacted to his suffering is a way that we can share the gospel. And these are some key bullet points uh, that we're going to see, some key truths that Paul is going to teach us in the book here uh, that is uh, written uh, to the Philippians. And as I always like to remind you, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, uh, but God wrote to you and I through these exact same words. And so we're going to pull some truths out of these things this um, today that uh, during this session that we can apply to our own lives. So let's uh, dive right in here. Uh, Philippians chapter number one. Here's what the Bible says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I always like to remind you uh, when we get started with one of Paul's writings here, is he reminds us again that the peace that we're all looking for only comes after the grace of God. Once God has given you his grace and saved your soul, then you can experience the peace of Christ that we are all searching for. So I always like to remind you of that when we come across that, because Paul reminds us that of in every letter that he writes. He continues on, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a couple of things in here that we need to take a look at. First, Paul is praying um, as he admonished us, uh, as we studied in the book of Colossians, he admonished us to uh, continue in prayer with all thanksgiving. And he tells us here that he is continuing in prayer uh, with joy for all of those uh, members of the church at Philippi. And so that reminds us that we should be praying uh, with joy 
Um, and then confident in Jesus that he is going to complete in them what he has begun. And so what we can really rest assured here is that as Paul was praying with all joy for those members there at the church at Philippi who had um, become followers and believers in Christ, he said, I am confident that he who started a good work, that's Jesus, will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he that started a good work in you will continue it. So we can be assured of the fact that um, when Christ started that good work in us, meaning that he saved our souls, forgave us of our sins so that we could uh, spend an eternity with him, uh, then he's going to continue that. He's going to hold on to that. He's going to complete that work. He is going to complete that work um, all the way and hold it all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for you and me? What that means for you and me is that we can be assured that if we are followers and believers in Christ, that he will take care of us. And when we die and we leave this earth, that we are going to spend an eternity in heaven with him. Now, there's a lot of hard work between the point where we accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and the point where we leave this earth. There's a lot of hard work for us to grow and to be more like him, and he's there to help us, to move us through that, to complete that work in us. He continues on here in verse number seven. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So here's a couple of things that we can see in this. He calls them partners in uh, three separate things. He says, you're partners in grace, you're the partners in my uh, partners in my imprisonment and partners in defense of the gospel. And so here's what I want you to understand about that. So Paul, right? He is this great evangelist that goes all over the world and every city that he goes to, uh, he stirs up a hornet's nest and gets in a lot of trouble and people uh, receive Christ and uh, churches are planted, but he always ends up in jail or he gets ends up beaten or run out of town. There's always this strife and struggle and turmoil that is surrounding his ministry. And so Paul is telling them, he says, you are partnering with me in grace, meaning I'm a believer and follower of Christ. You're a believer and follower in Christ. We are partners together in the grace of God that he has given us. Secondly, he says, you are partners with me in my imprisonment, meaning that they are going through some suffering. He is going through some suffering. Jesus went through suffering, and in Paul's suffering, he emulates that suffering of Christ, which shows the gospel. In their suffering, they emulate Christ and show the gospel. Therefore, they are partnering in the work of the gospel in their suffering, in their imprisonment. And he says, finally, that you are partners with me in defense of the gospel. And so this is uh, an awesome testimony to this church, and hopefully we can understand it and strive to uh, live our lives in this same way. Now, partners in defense of the gospel, meaning that all of that suffering, all of that grace, how we show that, how we share that, how we proclaim that great gospel news, all of that 
is in defense of the gospel. In other words, when other folks have other ideas and all of these other kinds of problems and all of that, it is our defense of the gospel, meaning that we stand up and say, yes, but in Christ you can be free. In Christ you can be forgiven. In Christ you can be saved. In Christ you can be healed. In Christ you can be made whole. And it is those times when we are able to step up. While we are suffering and others are suffering, we can step up and defend or to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul continues on in verse number nine. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is admonishing them and God is admonishing us. This is his prayer that your love will keep on growing. Jesus told his apostles, he said, they, the world, will know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another. And the key principle of the gospel is love. And the definition of love through the biblical concept is putting the needs of others before yourself. In other words, making myself less, making others more for the sake of the gospel. And so he says, I want your love to grow. How do I want it to grow? He says, in knowledge and in every kind of discernment. So our love can't just be ultimate acceptance of everything that there is. That's not love. What love is, is when um, we are confronted and we see sin, uh, that we confront that and we say, that's not right and that's not good. Just like um, if you think about the fact that you love your children, you don't just let them do whatever they want. Um, we teach them the right way, and we show them the truth, and uh, we help them and lift them up and help them to understand the things that need to be done. That's what love is. And sometimes love, like truth, um, can hurt a little bit, especially when you're on the wrong side of that and you're doing the wrong thing. So Paul says, I want you to, I want your love to grow in knowledge, but also in discernment, every kind of discernment. And there's a reason for that. He says, I want you to approve those things that are superior. In other words, uh, Paul says in another one of his writings that I uh, to the church at uh, uh, Ephesus, he says, I want you to everything that is pure and good and holy and kind, those are the things that I want you to think about. And so he said, I want you to have that kind of discernment so that you can approve those things that are superior. And then, as a result of all of that, that you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. That in being pure and blameless in the day of Christ, that you will be able to stand before him uh, righteous, just as he wanted you to be. And he says this, he says, that in that day of Christ that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, then where does that fruit of righteousness come from? From your works, from your thoughts, from your love? No, no, no. That fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And why? So that God gets the glory. You see, here's a big important thing that we need to understand. Everything that happens in life, whether it's good things, bad things, indifferent things, the point of it is, is that God gets the glory, Christ is lifted up, and the Holy Spirit empowers the whole process. 
And in Christ being lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. And as he draws men unto himself, God will receive the glory. This is the importance of what we, of how we interact and how we act with every form of suffering that comes our way. That God receives the glory that Christ be lifted up in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul continues on, verse number 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. All right, so let's jump back to the first part of this passage. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, the fact that he is in prison, has actually advanced the gospel. He said, it has become known throughout the entire Imperial Guard and everyone else that works in that prison and around that prison that I am imprisoned because I am in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that all of those people that know that are believers and followers of Christ, but the gospel has been proclaimed to them, and they know that Paul is there because of his belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Then he says on top of that, so the gospel message has gone out all the way through the Imperial Guard and everyone else that's um, associated with this prison. He said, most of the brothers, those are followers of Christ, have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word. So you see what they've seen, the brothers have seen is that Paul is there in prison. He continues to preach the word of God. Christ, uh, the word of Christ, the gospel, he has not been murdered in that prison, and they are emboldened by that fact that, hey, if we share the gospel, there may be struggles and there may be strife, and we might live and we might die, but the reality of it is is that we need to be sharing the gospel, proclaiming his good news, just like Paul is. And so Paul says, hey, this is a good thing. All of these imperial guards heard. All of the brothers have been um, have gained confidence in the Lord uh, that they can speak the word fearlessly. And then he says, hey, be sure some of these people are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. So uh, in Paul's day, as they were going about things, there were folks that thought that Paul was great and doing all these good things, and there were folks that thought that Paul was uh, not great and not doing good things, but Paul said, I don't care. Verse 18, he says, what does it matter? Only 
that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So let me let me see if I can get this into a modern thought process for you. You ever been somewhere, belonged in a church, and there was somebody that was of high esteem and that everybody loved and liked and all of those kinds of things, and then maybe uh, you didn't find yourself in that same situation. And so there may have been in your heart this idea that, boy, I wish I was like that person, or I wish I had the kind of um, adoration that that person received and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't. And it's that kind of thought process where there's a jealousy between two people where Paul is telling us here, hey, yeah, he gets adoration and he's lifted up in, in his preaching, and that's great. And maybe I don't. Maybe I don't have the title, or maybe I don't have the job, or maybe I don't have the whatever, but I'm still going to preach Christ. Now, Paul is showing us absolute 100% Christian maturity here when he says, I don't care if they're telling you that I'm a bum or if they're telling you that I'm the greatest preacher that ever existed. What I'm telling you is is that both of those guys are preaching Christ and Him crucified and salvation by grace through faith alone, and in that I am rejoicing that that goes, that message goes out. And so when we think about that, we have to put ourselves in that position, right? Can we live in that humility just like Christ humbled himself? Can we be in a humble place where it doesn't matter whether I am trying, whether they are trying to um, lift me up and make me feel good or whether they are trying to discourage me as long as what's happening is that Christ is being proclaimed? And if we can have that same kind of maturity, boy, we're really heading in the right direction. He says in here, and this is just for a point of clarification as I'm teaching through in verse number 19, because I know the the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, uh, and this is happening, will lead to my salvation. And ultimately what he's talking about there is his release from prison and his um, not being executed. uh, He's not talking about his eternal salvation. Um, verse 20, he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed uh, about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now he's going to go on. Here's a famous, famous verse. Lots of people have this one memorized. If you don't, this would be another good one for you to memorize. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, he says, if I live in the, on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I do know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, Uh, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So Paul is going to make this juxtaposition here. There's two things that can happen. That Christ, he says, will be highly honored in my body, whether it's in life or death. So he says there's two things. If I die, then I get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. And he said, that's the best thing that could possibly happen to me. 
because for me then, I get to rest. I get to be with Jesus. I get to my eternal reward. But he says, if I live, then I get to spend the rest of my life working for Jesus, and that would be beneficial for all of you and indeed all of us. In other words, if I die, then I get to be with Christ, and that's great. And if I live, then I get to stay here and work for Christ, and that is also great because whether I live or whether I die, Christ is honored and lifted up, and that's what it's all about. And he said, so it's better for me to remain in the flesh for your sake because, he says in verse number 26, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So he's telling, if we get to see God perform a miracle here and I get out of this prison, you are going to be boasting so much about what God has done, and that'll only help the proclamation of the gospel. Then he continues on in verse number 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So Paul is going to admonish them here in this last section. He says, live your life worthy of the gospel. Now, what does that mean, to live my life worthy of the gospel? He tells us a few things here. Number one, we need to stand firm. What are we standing firm in? We're standing firm in the assurance of our salvation because it is not by my works, but it is by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and him crucified, buried, and resurrected. And that is where we stand firm. And he says, I want you to stand firm in one spirit. That means that all of us together, understanding that this is the foundation for everything that we do forward, is Christ alone, Christ alone. That's standing together in one spirit, in one accord with the same idea, the same process, the same motivation. And what is that? Contending together for the faith of the gospel, that in our lives we show Christ and him crucified and buried and resurrected and glorified, and that in our sufferings, the way that we react to those, Christ is honored and God is lifted up. And then he says, this is your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in that same struggle that you saw that I had, and now hear that I have. And so this is um, his final statement in chapter number one, is to really emphasize the point that our lives and the suffering that we go through is an opportunity for us to share the gospel with the world. That comes in the way that we react, so our physical manifestations of how we react to the suffering, uh, and then it carries itself into our words, our proclamation of the gospel. 
when people see how we react, that we don't react in fear and that we don't react in anger or haste and that we react inside the fruits of the Spirit, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, then they say, wow, that's really different than anybody else that I see. What's wrong with that guy? Or how he... And then that gives you that opportunity when they see you behave that way and they see you act that way, that gives you that opportunity to say, hey, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that brings me the peace that passes all understanding, that allows me to live this life fearlessly, knowing that the two choices that I have is to die and be with him or to live and live for him. And that is where great peace and comfort comes from. It comes from the courage and the knowledge that Christ has done all the work And if I would repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in him and his completed work, that he will forgive my sins and that he will save my soul and I will get to spend an eternity with him. Thanks for listening. Let me pray for us and then we will be finished for this time. Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Thank you for... um, Uh, resurrecting from the grave, knowing now that you have defeated death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, we can carry on. Like the old songwriter said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to live like Christ in humility, showing the suffering that he did for all of us so that God might be honored, Jesus might be lifted up. And we pray this in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go out now and be disciples and make disciples. Thank you for listening to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you'd like to get in contact with us, check us out on Facebook or email to clayhousegospelhour at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.